Hello, welcome to the Square Based Podcast YouTube and Society, a subsidiary of <laughs> a subsidiary of the Oxford Gaming Network. I'm your co-host, Rob, and with me is my co-host and the man with the most, Mr. Val Heffelfinger. And today we're going to be talking about the movement phase in Warhammer the Old World. Hello, Val. How are you? I am so good, Rob. So good, man. How are you? Yeah, really struggled about, really struggled into society there as a word, but nearly got there. Uh, I'm hey. excited about our WWE style intros in the future. Uh, more laser sound effects then. Roger. I'll add yeah. it to the list of, of, of required assets. Well, I'll, I'll, do the, I'll do the visuals. I'll make them spin across if, that, if that's what you want. Yeah. Is that good? Beautiful. Yeah, yes, good. I'll get I'll get myself a little dry ice machine in here. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> I dry ice that would be so good if you emerge from mist. In. <laughs> so technically, you could probably do it. Go on, after you. No, I could probably do it with some sort of technical shenanigans. But uh, no, I think I think I'd have to go. I, you know, I like I like practical effects, Rob. You know, I'm a, I'm an old, I'm an old world guy. You know, I don't want any of those. I don't want any of that CGI stuff. <laughs> uh, even though I'm standing in front of a green screen. Now I just picture you throwing a smoke bomb and just vanishing in, off the screen, which is <laughs> <Just> gone. <laughs> He's out of here. So technically this is episode two of uh, Square Based, uh, the official Square Based show versus uh, the the kind of the preamble that was on the Honest Wargamer, uh, you know, YouTube channel and stuff. So welcome everyone to episode two, uh, which Ooh. should be exclusively uploaded at this point to our YouTube, which will happen maybe today, maybe tomorrow, uh, which is fun. So I hope you've all enjoyed that. And if you are watching this on YouTube or listening to it as a podcast, it's available as both. If you go into the comments or into the description on this YouTube video, you're going to see all of the links. And there is links to, uh, quite excitingly, all of our social media pages, uh, the podcast, which you can listen to, and also, which is just the audio rip of this show. And then also our Patreon, which is a Patreon where you can just um, uh, support the show and sh say, basically, I want old world content. And that Patreon automatically will add you to our brand new Discord, uh, where you'll be able to start like sharing your love and excitement for... Uh, old world and if you are already an honest wargamer subscriber uh, then don't worry uh, your subscription to that already gets you automatic entrance uh, to to that but it's mainly to build a space because me and Valor talked about this offline is to build a space directly for the old world community or, or at least our old world community i think that's the right we need thing. a base space yeah we need a base space uh which is important mm -hmm. uh, also we got to we got to talk we're talking later but we got to set up that facebook page and that's going to be not my area like that's your you that's your soul that's your soul dominion there, buddy. <laughs> I ain't hey, going there. Hey, you know what? I never left and it never got better. And F Facebook is just is hey, you know, I feel like there's a fair fair chunk of the square based demographic on the old blue pages. Uh so yeah, I think we should represent there if we can. Um yeah, it's all very exciting. And I'm and I look forward to having a, a place to go to by default on discord because i am personally overwhelmed every time i go on discord and then i check my dms and then i close the window that's basically what i do it's hard for me to keep up with the discord well so i used to have a public discord for the honest wargamer but like uh, last year when i started to get real serious uh five years into my career um i was like <laughs> i was like i was like John, i want to set up a specific space that's only for the people who interact who want to support what i do and actually i found that to be a much 
like a much more comfortable space. So like I wasn't overwhelmed. People didn't have agendas. You know, we generally were like chit chat and, you know, we agree, disagree, discuss stuff like heartily, which I think is really fun. And I'm excited about that space be evolving as well. Um, mm -hmm. uh, like me and Tobias, uh, or Tobias in the chat has been working on this kind of list builder thing, which has been really fun. Uh, we're going to try and one day, it might be fun to try and translate to the old world. Me and Tom have been working on stats for the Honest Wargamer, which we've done previously before, but now we're working on a more complete solution. Excited about doing that for the old world as well. Um, creating uh, events. Excited about that. There's so much stuff I want to, that, 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 that Discord's going to be able to eventually do in the future, which is super exciting. We're like uh, a heartbeat away from t-shirts, man. This is amazing. Oh, we're doing t-shirts, bro. Come on. Are you joking I me? I can't wait to order some t-shirts. Square based. Oh, we can get some merch. Do you want merch? We need, we need a, we, oh my God, we need the whole kit. We need the, uh, the arc of attack angle. Um, I'm actually there. You will get one. You'll, you'll get one for the square base GT. Um, oh. actually oh. it would be really great to use some of our assets to make the square base GT logo properly. Aside from the, uh, just, just the words, uh, that I used, um, <laughs> okay. cause I was afraid to do anything other than that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, well, we can put that on the on the on the uh, line of sight protractor. Well, listen, all of this excitement about the channel is easily uh, gazumped, but also the is inspired from the fact that we're getting tasty, tasty rules morsels, which we're going to cover today. Uh, absolutely so exciting. That's what we're going to dive into. So this excitement, this kind of like professionalism, hopefully is an indication of how serious we're going to take all of the old world content in the future, but also mm -hmm. uh, how excited generally we both are about old world stuff. Like so much stuff we want to talk about. We'll talk about law, rules, background, events, stats, just like the, the one-shot package, which is very fun. And I'm very much looking forward to it uh, oh, as well. Man. And like I'm, um, I'm knee deep in 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 actual hobby prep. Been slap chopping again, Rob. Whoa. Okay. Been slap, slap chopping. chopping again. I got what? some. I, I've 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 developed. Uh, yeah, I've, I did all my basing. I've done. I've done. I'm working on Adam Camilleri's Ogres right now. To, before I get onto your Lizardman. Okay. Fine. And um and so I did a fire belly, and he was terrible. And I learned something. I learned something that if you if you Botch your application of contrast, which sometimes it happens, it gets blotchy and stuff. Mm. You can throw you can throw a wash over top of it, and it sort of just ties the whole room together. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, that's fun. I generally, if so, you're getting blotchiness, you haven't watered. Like I always water down like 50-50 right. the contrast. Like it's such a it's such a like well, look, we're already cheating, so we slap chopping. So it feels so easy to just dip that brush in that pot and crack on. Uh, yeah. But like mixing right. it is the right answer. Um, well, also, I even find like I even find like sometimes. Um, well, slap chopping taught me that uh, that dry brushing is in fact a skill. Like it's not actually just like the easiest. Like it is a technique you can you can get good at, but also like it's pretty easy to accidentally be a little chalky or a little heavy in spots. And when you put the contrast over, because it kind of glazes that. If like you have like if there's like a, sometimes you get like these these weird patchy things. Anyway, I use a little bit of the soft tone uh uh army painter on there my favorite washes are army painter and uh it was wonderful um so anyway i was just sharing, sharing that Sa I'm a little it bit, saved saved it i'm a little bit torn because um i uh I, i've printed out a chaos dwarf army now and then i'm about to finish off printing off the 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 good old bretonians and then i'm asking myself about my paint technique because bretonians i feel like i it should be an army that i i desperately want to love and do all the heraldry on 
Uh, but I am really obsessed with streaking grime right now, and like it wasn't really, <laughs> yes. it wasn't really something that was used overly much back in the day. So I quite like the idea of a grim, dark Bretonian army. You know, go for slightly more like mottled colours. Don't go for the the bright pageantry and livery that's potentially possible. Or maybe even do that and then like you know darken it down with you know streaking grime and stuff. So I got I got to make a decision there at the moment. I'm not really sure. Obviously, it works. Well, go on. Oh, you, you can go with like a spooky because uh, there's a lot of undead activity, um, despite them being too tired to be part of the old world right now. Um, you could do like a pre Moussillon uh, turning to the to the vampire red kiss, whatever nonsense, uh, you know, so like you can have a bunch of really sort of spooky looking knights, the, the, the uh, Sylvania of Bretonia, if you will. Mm. But I'm also really obsessed with humans at the moment, and I keep looking at like what an empire army may look like. But I think because of the time that the 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 game is going to be set in, obviously mm -hmm. we're going to. Ha I don't know. If, I don't know if we'll even we'll get regiments. You'll get city regiments, but I don't know if you'll have like a a standardized milit like standard militarized like grouping that you did with empire. And uh, if yeah, you, well, but if you might end up well, with more like city, like sure, like yeah, we've got some halberdiers. Well, Maybe. Well, that's the that's the that's the way. Like, I mean, Empire was already like that. Like, you, there was no like unified uh, imperial color. They're all they all they're all state troops, right? So they're always coming. They're like Space Marine chapters that way, I guess. Never put that together. But yeah, they're always coming in their in their like home turfs heraldry or sort of regalia. Uh, like, for example, my uh, the bulk of my force are a bunch of country bumpkins from Sterling, and they got the yellow and the green. Oh, cute. Cute country yeah. bumpkins. That's cute. I like. Uh, I I think I want to go for some lads. Obviously, um, some real lads. Some lads. Some lads. Oh, oh no! I need a pie to fight them orcs. Uh, also, some Middenheim, some Middenheimers, or some 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 Nolnists. Nolnists. Nolnians. Yeah, it's gonna be a toughie. Also, kind of worried about my uh, pronunciation. I've got to. I'm gonna have to fluently jump between Uruks and orcs quite often, and uh, that's gonna be a tough one for me long term. There are now three canon ways to spell orc, uh, which is kind of funny. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a <laughs> <laughs> Uh Yeah. Tell me you like the old world without telling me you like the old world. Oh, right. I see. Shall we jump into these rules? Because this is exciting stuff. Should we do that? Oh, straight into it. All right, let's go, buddy. Okay, rumors at the end. Rumors at the end. That's the secret. Rumors that source. we have rumors. I didn't even know we had rumors. We can. We can. We can. We can I don't know. If we, I don't know if we got rumors, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Okay. So this one's really awesome, guys. This is a, this is a this is a special. I mean, they're all gonna be special to me. All of these reveals, but Rob, this one is this is this is special. This is this is super exciting, and I agree. Uh, mainly because we talked about this last week. We said movement's the most important factor for how a game plays. That just is. You know, some mm -hmm. games are, some games are wildly dynamic, like Shatterpoint. Then you kind of got like your mid range like dynamism that you have with obviously 40k and Age of Sigma. And then as I described last week, I feel like this is more linear. Static is what I used last week. Maybe linear is probably a little bit uh, of a of a nicer word to use. Uh, but we've got some really fun rules uh, about the movement phase, which is really going to define most of what happens in a game. Right. So yeah. uh, we've got this here. So formation is the first thing we're going to talk about. Uh, and the formations that you could take. I'll read out what the article says and we could chat about it. All units in the Let's game read. must adopt a formation, which will dictate how they act in battle, including moving and fighting. Most units can only adopt one, close order, though some can also choose options such as skirmish or open order. And for Bretonian knights, 
the mighty lance formation. Okay, and then uh, I'll just read the bit underneath. Close orders are units arrayed in base-to-base -base contact, facing the same direction in order to find ranks. Where possible, there must be the same number of models in each rank, with more models in the rank than the file, which sometimes uh, means leaving spaces in the back rank if necessary. They move and fight as a single entity, walking, wheeling, charging, exposing their flanks and rears. The more uh, full ranks you have, the greater your advantage in combat. And then when you need to move rapidly, you can turn into a marching column. But let's go back and talk about formations. Val, how do you feel about formations? Uh, oh, man, I think it's cool. Uh, I mean, specifically what's cool here is we're getting some... Uh, like last in, when we last uh, met Warhammer Fantasy, we basically had <laughs> Horde Formation. Uh, so Horde Formation gave a benefit, right? And that allowed you to, to fight in two extra ranks rather than one. You had to be 10 wide. Um, and caused great consternation for many people. Um, and uh, But it was still neat that depending on how you uh, arrayed your forces or your deeds on their tray, uh, they, got a they got a benefit, right? Mm -hmm. And um, now we're seeing even just a few hints here of, of a couple different uh, formations that will give uh, different benefits in the game. And it also kind of opens up uh, TM, a subsidiary of the Honest Wargamer, uh, design space to come up with other neat uh, ways of arranging your dudes on their trays to give different. I was different... about to say that hundred percent. That's actually one of the most exciting things showing the showing the lance formation, which is a pretty famous one, pretty yes. famous, obviously. And maybe that's going to be exclusive to Bretonians, but it does give them the option of creating more formations in the future. Although I'm not really sure about uh, the 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 pyramid style formation the tomb kings are gonna get that'll be weird uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, we're going fully three-dimensional with the with the tomb kings. um up in the well, even yeah. even like the lance formation i never well actually i guess i would have played with it but i have no real recollection of it uh, i do i do see folks because it it was gone by sixth edition so the edition that most people seem to love the most they sort of just went to a three wide rectangle is what the lance became uh, i think just for ease of use so i'm very curious to see the rules behind the lance formation and how it works especially when you're flank charging it how do you align how do you align a square up to a triangle you know what i mean a bit you know, tricky. I, I couldn't agree with you more i think it's actually a, a, a big problem and uh, being pointed out in the chat as well that three wide at the front kind of made a little bit more sense uh, from a game because you ended up with like you know a, a rectangle shape so i agree yeah um although yeah, ultimately yeah once you when when the formation hits i think the i remember the 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 old the old way being basically um that you you got to fight with more frontage than uh a regular cavalry formation might because everyone's sort of like the the, the lance collapses right like every basically like everyone on the edges gets to fight yeah um so, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, it, it'll be interesting. And it's just, to me, very evocative, the Lance Formation, because, uh, you know, the tip of the spear, um, and, you know, you can really imagine it just mowing through a group of bros. Well, it's um, it's going to look great on the tabletop. And I think one of the things that I find very attractive about the old world is that we are going to get, like, your movement phase is very simple. You normally are moving, I know, six to 10 units, but you're not moving multiple models. You just move in a tray. Move this yeah. tray, move that tray. And the movement's also pretty slow as well, generally. 
compared to like you know things like stupid planes in 40k etc so like oh hold on a second <laughs> let's not blow any leads here pal okay i apologize but like the podcast about to go triple time all right yes continue <laughs> but the like it's a very fun and engaging and quick way to represent something and i think if this had happened you know in seventh eighth edition and you were like oh my models can't tessellate. You'd be like, we will answer you in three to five years on that. But like, I feel like I feel like that they they're going to. There's an answer there. Like you know, the problem that we have with that. There's no way someone doesn't look at that and ask immediately. How does it rank up? And then right. there's there's obviously immediately an answer. So I don't uh, think that's a concern personally. How about that skirmish formation, though, bud? Huge fan of this, actually. If I could, if I could, the, huge fan, mainly because I don't think that got given that kind of like keyword because it says it's going to be keyword based, right? Like, I wasn't given to. Where did it say? Have they actually said that? I mean, they, I would hope so, but have they actually confirmed that anywhere? I don't know if they've blatantly said that. Uh, they said something about uh, though some can only choose options such as skirmish or open order. Oh no, uh, it didn't say that. But like, I'm assuming. Someone... I can't imagine it won't be. I can't imagine it won't be. Yeah, there'll be. If some... we go back to the last last week, I'm sure we would notice a bunch of bolded words and shit. Yeah, yeah. They mentioned it further down. Oh, thank you. That yeah, I thought that there was a mention of it. Oh, units with a okay. skirmisher special rule. Okay, so not a keyword, but the universal special rule do not need to rank up at all. So that's that that is there, and I love that because that's really fun because i think that was something that was very limited in almost felt like an afterthought when i played previously in warhammer fantasy battles and i like that they might really push into that and give unit roles into armies via formations feels great in my personal opinion yeah i like that what Um, do you think of that um oh it's 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 really cool and then like specifically with the skirmish formation um like right now, and I don't know how far back this style of skirmish goes, but essentially you're uh, half an inch apart. Like, so you're still ranked, but there's basically a half inch spacing between uh, all the models on on in the in the formation for skirmishers right now. Um, so they look like a little more loose, loosely formed. Um, and then they have rules benefits, but on the table they don't really move much more freely aside from fast cavalry. Mm. So. Uh, it was it's it's cool to see them actually sort of in your you know you know your 40k AOS like or any skirmish game style where they're they're constrained by unit coherency. What I'm curious to know more about is how that actually functions on the tabletop because in order to have them not in their ranks, what's their facing? So in 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 fantasy and and old world, I guess I gotta start saying old world, eh, bud? Yeah, it's, it's, this ain't no fantasy anymore. This is this is the old world. How do you feel about uh, that? Because you've been such a huge fantasy stand for the past few years. Like, is uh, it going to be a toughie? No, I'm just just gonna. I got to adjust it. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess no. But did anyone ever call AOS Warhammer Fantasy? Probably not. <laughs> no. But anyway, new branding. I guess that, like so in 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 the old world, you will find that. Basically, the 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 arc of sight, or like the the, the that uh, unit has, which is uh, I guess forty five degrees off of each 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 uh, uh, long edge from its front. That's its front facing. That's what it can see. Anything it can see, as we discover later, it can charge. Uh, also, shooting is generally speaking constrained by that front arc. The front arc is really really important because it really elevates the movement game. Because if you can maneuver your troops and get your units outside of someone's uh, front arc, 
you're untouchable. So although you might be very close or in a, what seems like a dangerous scenario, like a dangerous situation, uh, you're in fact safe from you know being charged or in most cases shot. So with the skirmishers being arranged, uh, arranged like that, it's going to be a little hard to determine what their uh, their front arc is, which leads me to believe that they probably might have a more traditional skirmisher, 360 degree line of sight, uh, which means that you know they will be able to be much more annoying with their shooting uh, than maybe uh, other units can and actually do like that sort of harassment job that a skirmisher is supposed to do. So I, I think it's really neat. Also, being able to string out a formation like that in fantasy, sorry, in the old world, is going to be very, um, uh, what's the word? Annoying, because you can use that uh, again in the role that skirmishers play. Uh, to really block off charge lanes, to make it really hard for um, uh, for someone to get to stuff behind you because you could string out a unit like that and cover a lot of distance. Um, so yeah, all, all of those things make that... That skirmisher formation is a lot more interesting to me than the current skirmisher formation. So already we're seeing sort of a an improvement. Yeah, I think we. I think it's definitely an improvement. It feels very neat and and well written, and the pictures also really make me feel like they're they're like, look, this is how it works, and explaining it. And I am really excited about different types of formations. I really am. Mm -hmm. You know, even if it's like you know we've got close order, but if there's like you know a regiment of renown, and it's always five by five. Like it just is five by five. Like that it just has to how it, it like, you know, that's how it is. So it'd be quite interesting. I like that. The idea of it like, also, it, it makes me think too, like maybe different weapons have different benefits in different formations. Like if you have spears in your close order, um, you know, maybe if you're taking a charge from cavalry, you get some sort of a bonus, you know, that's sort of that standing fast thing. That's, oh, yeah. you know, a big deal in, in like, uh, in, in total war. Oh, that's um, a cool so, idea. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, so, charge bonus is cool. Yeah, that's yeah. fun. Yeah, that's very fun. Or even maybe something against shooting. Who knows? You know, same thing. Yeah, if you got shields in your close order, yeah, maybe that's how you get that's how you get a benefit from your shield. That'd be, you know, like so you can turtle up like the old the Romans. Yeah. Uh so yes. Don't mean <laughs> to trigger everyone to think about the Roman Empire, but there you are. <laughs> yeah, I love the idea of a shield wall. That's a great idea. Okay, so I think formation stuff has got me very excited, mainly for what it says. Mm -hmm. But also for what mm -hmm. it potentially got me in a full-on marching column. Oh, let's go! Uh, when they need to move rapidly, your unit's going to adopt a marching column, reforming into a shape that's deeper than it is wide. A unit formed in this way may not charge and earns no rank bonus in combat, but it can move at triple speed, that's very crazy. fast, very fast. Um, so, uh, what do you think about the the marching column uh, section? So I, this is gonna be one. So first of all, this one's causing great consternation over on uh, over on old old world uh, Facebook group. Oh no! Um, because and I think they might have somewhat of a point here, which is that so you can still march. So basically, um, you know, you've got different rates of of movement that you can do if you uh, if you just walk normally or you just move do do your normal move, say four inches for a, for a human. Um, you'd be able to usually shoot with a penalty. Um, uh, and then if you march, you double your movement uh, and uh, you can no longer shoot. There's some there's some downsides. Usually also, if you're going through terrain, you might have to take a train check, that kind of a thing, because you're moving faster. Um, but those are just things you say, and it's it's dictated by how far you go. By going to the marching column, it means that you actually physically have to move your, re-rank your guys, 
which is triggering, I think, for a lot of legacy players. And this might be where larger base sizes really come in handy because by default, hopefully, if you've rebased or at least put them on spaced out trays, they won't be so bloody tangled up in one another. Um, right. and, uh, and so it might be a little easier to shift your dudes around uh, to, to change formations on the fly. Um, whereas right now it's like, uh, it's like barrel of monkeys. I don't know. Do you have barrel of monkeys in the United Kingdom where you have to like hook one guy and they all, they all tangle to one another no, anyway. No. Well, I don't know. So that. there's, there's a bit of a complaint, <laughs> a bit of a complaint around the fact that you have to physically change the formation because that slows the game down. Ironically, when you're trying to go fast, um, the other thing that in my head I'm thinking about is, uh, in, in the old world, they reference it here, but they don't actually get into details about reforming so um uh in in eighth edition there was uh, an innovation called the swift reform which meant if you had a musician you were able to uh if you pass a leadership check you'd be able to actually just change your formation entirely and also your facing uh, and then do a normal move so it was uh it was a pretty neat little thing that you could do but it also meant that you couldn't charge that turn obviously because you were you, know, you were reforming um, and on something like this, you have to consider that if you go triple speed, so say that's, that's, uh, uh, you know, 12 inches for a human, um, you know, that, and then in the next turn, if you still have the swift, swift reform, you could go another four inches, which gets you to 16, uh, and facing in a different direction. Uh, however, you could also just march twice, uh, or march once and then charge. So I'm curious to see depending on like how essentially you're, you're, you are getting to move triple the distance, but I don't know if that's enough to make up for the fact that you're losing an extra turn of relevance because you're going to have to reform. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. So it'll be, it'll, I'll be curious. Like, I'm not going to say this is like, uh, this is a game that has been play tested and worked out. Um, so I, but I'm, I'm just curious to see in that order of operations, is there, or are there units that are able to, you know, reform in the strategy phase, for example, because that would be before you declare your chargers. Um, that would be something really cool. Or maybe there's 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 heroes or or abilities that allow you to do that reform. So you could march maybe in the first turn or second turn, and then suddenly be in a in a real nasty position to to come around the the edges. But I, I love the idea of like starting deploying, certainly flanking units. In, in, in marching columns so that they can, you know, get some deep penetration. Uh, but who knows how it'll actually play out. What about you? I'd say that, like, uh, what you just touched on there is, uh, like, you know, a reform in the strategy phase is a is a really good point. I feel like, and again, I'm talking about TMs, uh, the design space, so incredibly underutilized in what, like, because uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battle had almost no iterations. Rob, I hear you cry in the YouTube comments. There are eight editions, you idiot, you jerk. Yeah, and I'm like, I, like those editions like were spread over like decades, and also, um, you know, those books in some cases weren't iterated for for years upon years. Um, and since then, like, say what you like about Games Workshop's three year cycle for their games, and you know, and I've said a lot of terrible things about them the like they've had to iterate even if they've not done it well even if it's like you know some stupid idea written on a whiteboard and put to print though they have consistently attacked areas of the game and for what is a fairly slow game as well like you know D, &D uh has got so much fan fiction or 
you know, when you play Total War, there's so many mods which, you know, add and iterate elements into the game. And many times those iterations get added into the core game, which is true. What's nice about yeah. this game is I feel like we're going to see a lot of those. It's going to feel like... I think it's always going to feel like Warhammer Fantasy Battle, but it's going to feel like Warhammer Fantasy Battle would have felt like in like 2150 if it had never been cancelled. Does that make sense? Like, you'd be like, wow, you just had a lot of stuff in. Yeah. I, I, one of the early designer diaries, they, they, uh, the first rules peak that they did, uh, where they talked about anything rules related, uh, they said that they had been playing, uh, you know, every edition of of Warhammer Fantasy Battles, and they're going to cherry pick, you know, the the be- the coolest and best mechanics from that. Um, Marching Column, uh, apparently, and uh, this is this is just what, I, what I've seen from reading, uh, is something that was uh, available as an option in Warhammer Ancients. Battle, or sorry, uh, and so Warhammer Ancients is a um, a Games Workshop produced. I guess when the Perry Twins were there. Uh, and I think also Rick Priestley was was big into it, was their historical um, rule set. And actually, it was published for a long, long time. It was available to buy, um, uh, you know, uh, up until, um, I don't know, somewhat recent history. I would say just just before probably the end times. So it, this, this sort of takes from that. Um, and so it's funny seeing sort of some of the split on whether or not this is a good thing comes down to are you are you someone who played Warhammer Ancients because um, they really liked it? Yes, Warhammer Ancients also known as sort of a, a tight version of of sort of a similar similar styled game as as Warhammer Fantasy was. Oh no, this is a Metallica situation, isn't it? I can't get into this. I can't. We can't what do you mean? Do- so like when like I like alternative music, um, and they're like and obviously like bands that you know emerge now or even in the past five ten years or twenty years if you will, you know are obviously greatly informed by those that came apart before them. You know they stood upon the shoulders of giants. Like you know yeah, it, sure. Black Black Sabbath should go down its history. It's the most like one of the most innovative set of musicians the world has ever seen. Uh, but in 2023, I don't need you to come up to me. And be like, hey, Rob, we really should be listening to Metallica. And I'll be like, no, no, no. They're old <laughs> as fuck. Yeah. Right. They've got nothing left to say. Shut up. Right. <laughs> right. I don't, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Everything's old. So, like, I really respect the respect that we put onto these older game designers. I really do. I, like, I think that's an important thing to, you know, n- you know, their place in history is important. And, and I'm sure many of them have iterated themselves and developed themselves over time. Absolutely. But, uh, but I do not need to be like, oh, this guy wrote fourth edition Orcs and Goblins, and therefore this game will be brilliant. And I'm like, that was written on a napkin. You had to roll on a D66 table, and I, like, I would have, no. Like, I don't want I any guess, part of that. Does that make sense? That makes sense. And I, actually, we're coming up on a reveal as well that has, I, I warned you, it was going to be contentious, and it has been contentious. Um uh, but I think actually in this case, it's the old, it's the Grognards being like, what's the big deal? Marching columns are awesome. And all of the like the sixth edition people who are, I would call them the insufferables. Um, no one's out there like beating the drum for like how amazing and perfect eighth edition was. Every like they're like, I love eighth edition, uh, but I know it's 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 got its fault. Whereas rose tinted glasses only for a sixth edition uh, and it's insufferable. um so uh so it was cool to see the warhammer ancients guys who are by definition more ancient than the sixth edition guys uh coming to the defense of this rule um so yeah 
All right, perfect. Love that. Okay, so yeah, so I, I, I think like you've said, and the exciting element is that I think this is going to be Warhammer Fantasy Battles in the year 2150. I think, you know, like you've said, the ability to reform, uh, you know, your formations in the strategy phase might be Maybe a unique, it might, might, might be a thing, yeah. Yeah, a unique faction thing. It might be, it'll most likely to be bloody elves though, won't it? Fucking hell. Uh, yeah, almost uh, certainly. Almost certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Although Gav Thorpe's not there writing stuff, so who knows how the elves will pan out, but uh, we'll yeah, okay. see. The uh, Right, so the movement phase, there's plenty more to it than that, but now it's time to look at the movement phase. This is, as with every phase in the game, divided into four parts. The first of these is Declare Charges, in which the active player nominates each unit that they want to charge and their targets. Charging is the only way to enter combat, and there are a couple of caveats. The target must be visible to your unit, and at least partially in its front arc, and your unit cannot be fleeing rallied or ra or have rallied this turn or already engaged in combat you may however pre-measure the distance to your targets let's go okay so, so number one how do you feel and how do the grognards feel so again because i think a lot of like a lot of the okay i'll be honest here facebook discourse is dominated by <laughs> sixth edition players uh there's a lot of pissy people about this um, because there, there is, uh, oh my God, look, no, 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 no. Let's dude lead with empathy, bro. Okay. We're based here. Okay? okay. Lead with empathy. Okay. Okay. There is some fun in nailing, uh, a guess like, so in nailing, like dropping a, you know, a rock thrower and guessing, you know, 42 inches and it's right in the square in the center of someone's head and you didn't man and you managed not to cheat to do that. Um, there is something to be said about the dance that sixth edition eventually became because you couldn't pre-measure and charges were, um, uh, it was, I believe it was just 12 inches. So the second you were in 12 inches, you could charge if, if you, you know, declare your charge and you're outside of 12, you're pooched. So being able to judge those distances. Yeah. I guess the, assuming you weren't cheating there, there was an, <laughs> there was an element, I guess, of, of, of learned skills there. And being able to estimate that, or in some ways, it's probably just some some level of natural ability. Some people aren't very good with with spatially being able to judge that kind of stuff. So I can see the fondness for it. Also, if it's the only thing you've ever done, because the only edition of Warhammer Fantasy that had pre measuring was Eighth Edition, um, and random charges was Eighth Edition. Um, so I could see how um, it it would be like a very big departure if you've managed to never ever change in your ways this whole time. Um, so I, I, I get where they're coming from. Um, however, as we're going to reveal as, as, as Rob keeps, uh, coming down this, I think they've stolen something really good, um, from, uh, from a, uh, one might say independently, uh, developed, uh, version of Warhammer fantasy battles known as the Warhammer armies project that makes charges with random distance pretty cool. Okay, well, I would say that one of the things that uh, immediately jumps out to me on this is a, a like a love that you can pre-measure. This, obviously, in my opinion, it would be the stupidest, stupidest, stupidest decision in the world. And following on from that, also, like it's crazy thinking about like the sheer volume of like total war nerds that might eventually pick up this game, and then yeah. you know they've spent their entire life being like, okay, what's the range? Of, what's the what's the potential range of my cannon when I'm in the real battle? What's the range of my archers? Okay, I know what that is, and then you're like, no, just guess, and they'd be like, 
you're this is awful. I hate this. This sucks. <laughs> right. And also yeah. incredibly open to abuse, like a pure game mechanic, which is so open to abuse. Like, like to me, there is no larger gap of abuse available here than no pre-measuring. Like just being like, oh, because you can't even confirm with your opponent that something you'd be like, yes, you know, like, oh, and, that, and that's, that's to me, the, the crux of why it's a terrible mechanic is because we've learned through pre-measuring that to stop yourselves from having like either feeling bad or arguing about stuff, you measure first and then you roll your dice um, because that means that you both agree to what the distance is. Whereas if you have to uh, declare first and then measure, well, whether or not it's 11 and three quarters uh, or, you know, 12.001, is going to be a bit of a contentious moment, even if you're playing casually. Yeah. Um, you know, like, <laughs> so yeah, I think it's, it is a dumb thing in the, in the, in, in, in the fullness of time. I think it's, it's quite obviously dumb to, uh, to, to have, you know, guess ranges and guess charges uh, and not have pre-measuring. So, and Hey, if those guys in their, in their garages and, and their, uh, well, you know, if they actually do play, um, do one not. one commenter I read was like, "Well, I only ever play uh, by myself, uh, so uh, I, you know, I, I prefer pre-measuring." And I was like, "That's the worst argument for pre-measuring I've ever seen." Wow, forever alone. Go to an event, uh, but uh, anyway. So yes, obviously, I think pre-measuring is fantastic. I think it's quite obvious from the 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 community reaction though that this was actually more contentious than I think you can appreciate. Uh, despite how obviously uh, better it is. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I honestly could not engage in those conversations. I'm Like, number one, a thank you from me to you for delving into the minds, yeah, being surrounded by absolute nonsense on a daily basis. Uh, that must be... Um, that must be tough. Uh, because I was, I was originally so upset by it. I actually left the old world uh, forums some time ago, and then I realized, I think through, I think we had a conversation probably about Nazis, unrelated. But I also, I just realized that there are just trolls out there, and some of these people genuinely believe what they're saying. A lot of them are just trolling, and so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to troll the trolls or the people who have bad opinions, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Also, yeah, like Declan says, uh, if you if you want no pre-measuring, then you're being ableist uh, to the people uh, who, I don't know, can't do that, or a million other things. I'll get you. I'll get you in some way, you idiots. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, all right, next. Uh, after all this, uh, the inactive player declares charge reactions. Most units yeah. may hold to receive the charge. Standard shoot if they have missile weapons and are further away than the charging unit's movement characteristic or flee by pivoting around 180 degrees and trying to escape. Like, just cheese it, lads. If you're caught, however, you'll be run down and destroyed. Beyond that, some especially alert units may counter charge. Dun, 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 dun. Counter charge is interesting. Uh, again, the design space here, excellent. Uh, the ability to give individual units their own unique charge reactions, external to, I think is something we're absolutely going to see, or I hope we see. You know, one particular mm -hmm. unit just has a, you know, and we have talked about that. You know, you just kind of talked about like a shield wall, maybe a very defensive unit, you know, has hold, but they have an even better version of hold where, um, sure. you know, where, Actually, like, that is what shield wall was in eighth edition for the dwarves. Yeah, I think they, they got plus one strength. Yeah. So um, I, I think that I'm so excited about that. I know that charge reactions is already a thing, but I love that. I think that's great. 
Yeah, if they play with it, uh, play around with it, uh, that it, it will be awesome. I mean, like you can, uh, and even an eighth, the, again, a lot of these things they had, like they just weren't um, necessarily emphasized or developed more, like you were saying, really, right? So like, uh, for example, Fast Cavalry, Cavalry in eighth edition, and maybe other editions too, I don't know. Um, if they flee as a charge reaction, normally that means you got to take the time to rally the next turn, then you, you can reform and you're standing around. But a fast cap cav uh, unit can flee, and then the next turn rally, and then carry on. They can move and shoot. They can't charge. Um, so that like that gave them sort of a, a you know a flee plus style charge reaction, which is kind of neat. Um, what do you think counter charge is, bud? It's interesting. I assume it's going to be a bit like didn't Empire have something uh, similar where you could charge yeah, uh, when kinda. you kind of they kind of had it, didn't they? Where you could charge. Well, I think they. Yeah, I think it was literally called countercharge. Uh, it was for their detachment system, and I say kind of just because no one used detachments because they weren't really that useful. Like the the way the rules were written didn't really give them a benefit, so they basically never got used. Okay. Previous versions, if Jack can help out, previous versions of the detachment system for Empire might have had a better version of countercharge. But uh, this gives me the impression that it's actually something entirely different. Uh, potentially, I like the idea that I like the idea that potentially what we do see is you do, maybe it's just a, a generic ability to if you do charge into a unit, the, you know the enemy unit has the ability to recharge you. Maybe there's if you haven't moved, you have access to a counter charge sort of a situation. You no, know, uh, so you can set up like a bait and trap, which I think is quite fun, um, and it does mean what that I it does mean that faster units are more caught out. You know, if you're able to go really fast and then charge in, you know, way ahead of the opponent, but the opponent, you know, hasn't moved the turn previously, then they can just be like, well, you know, now I'm going to counter charge. So there's, because movement is king in all war games. The faster you are, or the more threat projection you can get, which is movement plus ability to apply damage, the more you can do that, then the, you know, the more uh, useful that unit generally tends to be. So the ability to uh, like mitigate movement, and we've talked about skirmishes and other stuff, which is a great way as well, but that might be a really nice way to kind of be like, whoa, 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 slow your horses, literally. Uh, <laughs> like you're going to get countercharged, which is nice. I like that. I like that. Setting up something. That's good. So, so here's a thought that I have. So we've seen um, that in the um, basically combat res um, portion that there might be uh, something called pushback. So uh, basically, instead of you know running down your opponent, there might be a scenario where the the two units the, the unit just gets literally pushed back on the table. Here, countercharge seems to be referring to the the unit being charged at. Um, so it's not like their buddies jumping in with a countercharge. It's something to do with the unit itself. And this oh, makes me fun. wonder. This makes me wonder if maybe uh, a key part of maybe mission design will be table control, like say over a center line. Or over, you know, different different like strips of the battlefield, so that it is important for you to be further up table um, than um, you know being you know hanging out in your deployment zone. It's important for you to actually you know hold ground. Perhaps countercharge just means that you come out and meet your opponent, and therefore you're not giving up the ground. Um, something like that. Uh, it might be to me something that's useful in how they they build their mission mechanics. Ooh, or or potentially, I suppose this is talking about charge reactions. I like the uh, like, yeah, okay. I was thinking maybe like after combat, you know, you could do some, you know, it, like if you ended up being charged, won the combat, not only just charge the opposing unit down, but you know, recharge. But I think that would come later in the steps. 
Um, or counter charge could even maybe just nullify the 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 charge bonus. You know, we haven't seen yet what that what 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 sort of a bonus you get for charging. Do you do you strike first, for example? Like that's a big that's a big deal too. Is that eighth edition fantasy went to an initiative based um, determination for who strikes first? Mm. Um, so uh, if you got um, so if you got charged, you were you were getting hit no matter who it was that was charging you. Uh, whereas in eighth edition uh, fantasy, if you're a bunch of witch elves and you get charged, they're still cutting you down before you have a chance. Um, so maybe counter charge is some some way to to mitigate the chargers go first in combat. There's a lot of things it could be, and uh, I think I can't wait to find out so much more about this game. Me too. Me too. It's very exciting. The second step is actually make your charge moves to establish the range of their charge. You just roll two dice, pick the highest score from the two, and then add it to their movement characteristics. This means the unit of Skeleton Warriors has a charge range of between five and ten inches. But Bretonian Knights are rather more dangerous. Their Swiss Ride special rule adds an extra d6 inches to every charge they make. Uh, if you're in range, um, if you're in range, account of wheeling, move. Oh, we'll, mm. we'll, we'll just cover that. Like that's fine. Right? Yes. So the um, so this is a big change uh, first and foremost to the random charge distance determination, and it does remind me a lot of how Warhammer's Ar- Warhammer Armies project does it. I can't remember, Chad. If anyone remembers, uh, I don't know if it's two d six pick the lowest or not, but it's certainly at the very least the way they did it was d six plus your movement. Um, and that basically made it so you still had uh, random charges, uh, but what uh, what you didn't get was the long bomb. So like uh, on 2d6, you, that means that you have up to 12 inches that you can charge plus your movement distance if you're a human being. That gives you a potential charge range of 16 inches. Mm. So immediately here, um, you're, you're actually making the table a little bit bigger. Uh, because the threat ranges have been shortened, uh, and it's going to be, um, uh, I think that's that's really good, especially when we factor in for the larger bases and things. It means there's actually more room to maneuver on the table because the the longest potential distance isn't that that far. The other thing that's cool about doing two d six pick the lowest and how the math works out is that the most li- likely result is not, um, you know, like. Uh, I wish I had the chart memorized, but actually we're all going to have to memorize this chart. But, uh, you know, like the average charge distance with 2d6 pick the lowest, I think, I think is like, wait, I can't D- remember. 2d6 is miss- 7, 2d6 pick the lowest is 5, 2d6 pick the highest is 9. Yeah? Yeah. All right, there you go. So 9 inches would be your average charge, which is a bit less than, you know, your 12-inch charge from 6th edition. Um, but uh, a lot less than the potential for a you know like a sixteen inch long bomb. But it is, it is pick the highest dice. Bad. It is pick the highest dice on two d six. I'm sorry, I, I was thinking drop the lowest, but yeah, pick the highest would probably be the more correct yeah, way pick, to say that. Pick the highest. So like yeah, um, yeah, that that's what it'll be. So it's two d six, but it's pick the highest of one, right? And add it to your movement. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, so. It is good. Like I do like that because I I did ke- like I learned a valuable lesson in Warhammer Fantasy Battle that I've taken through to every war game since. Where uh, I, I lost a game at an event once just because someone rolled two twelve inch charges back to back, like a twelve inch charge and a twelve inch charge, and I was like, okay. <laughs> so, okay like what you do if you don't want to be charged is you make it impossible for them to for you to be charged versus probable that they won't charge you um and like you know that's a good thing so knowing knowing that like it's capped slightly less i think is good 
you talk about the board being more open because of that. That's quite interesting because I'm assuming that we're playing six by four boards, but that is not a guarantee. Obviously, Games Workshop standard now for 40k and Age Sigma is 44 by 60 inches. They even sell mats that fit into that. And I do wonder if the old world has got enough leg room that they're allowed to be told it's not six by four. Uh, we'll we see. Or if they'll create a mission pack, which it doesn't matter on your board size, I guess. You know, they might have like a suggested board size. James Workshop generally quite cowardly. We're going, we're going full on eight by 12. All right. Um, eight by 12. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know I've been, I've been, been hoarding uh, 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 six by four mats with great confidence. I can't imagine it'd be less than that, but we'll see. Um, yeah. Um, I think what the original, like Warhammer was kind of originally crafted on, you know, um, whatever the default size of a sheet of plywood was. So like these games were played on very, very large surfaces to start with. Mm. Uh, and I can't, I can't just, I would hope, I would hope it stays six by four. I think every inch counts. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Horus Heresy uses six by four. Okay. So it's, it's, there's a good confirmation that it is six by four. Okay. I would, I would even put that in the bank that it's, it's going to be six by four now. Consider that to be a, a Rob guess. Uh, which mm -hmm. Rob, Rob guesses the coffee shops normally work out quite well. So I think I think we've also speculated six by four uh, previous to this. Uh, another another implication though of of slower. So this is also interesting because uh, another field. So a lot of this to me is like there's so much about eighth edition that was fantastic and so many obvious things that could have been tweaked to make it like really 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 good. And one of those things to me was was just how sort of hamstrung cavalry was because they really didn't have that much of an outsized um, uh, uh, charge distance over, you know, foot infantry because you were, you were rolling 2d6 adding your movement. So if your movement is, you know, seven inches for a barred war, war horse versus, you know, you're really getting an extra three inches of potential charge. They did have swift stride. So it was, you know, more likely that you would roll a higher charge. Uh, swift stride uh, didn't, didn't work like this. Um, uh, but anyway, I, I just I really, really like now that we're starting already to see some benefits to cavalry um, because cavalry, the interaction between cavalry and infantry is what, you know, a rank and flank game is all about. Like that is one of the key elements and having slower infantry as well, meaning that your armies will, generally speaking, take longer to to, you know, get to grips because, you know, your biggest turn move aside from a march now would generally be your charge. Uh, otherwise, you're just moving double movement means that you're probably going to get an extra round of shooting in before you're able to close the distance. Interesting. So, uh, again, how does how is shooting mitigated? Um, because um, I've heard you I don't know this for a fact, but, you know, shooting can be a big deal in, you know, combat centric, close combat centric uh, games like, for example, AOS. Um, and, uh, you know, you need think, to be able think... to balance that. I think that's always been a misnomer that AOS is a fighting game and 40k is a shooting game. It kind of makes sense, you know, space battles is guns. I think that's kind of like a an ad, like an ad hoc shorthand people have used. Both metas have been dominated by combat or shooting depending on which uh on which army is the strongest at that point, whatever is the broken mechanic and the fighting over objectives normally almost always adheres to there needing to be something to fight something on an objective and maintain its position on an objective which is normally not shooting um and so both are like I, I think i think but you're right though like the ability to close down a gun line 
uh, versus the ability to like fight, you know, like, uh, and again, the language is really developed. Like, it's really interesting now because I haven't really thought tons about Warhammer Fantasy or the eighth edition, you know, the game state, but six to eight years in professionally covering war games and, and doing it for Games Workshop where I was starting to write myself language and, and how I would communicate information, thinking back and and just, you know, understanding unit roles. And I know obviously the designers at Games Workshop have also been through this experience as well. And like, you know, we've really developed as a community. So understanding mm -hmm. that closing down shooting is really important, mitigating that output so you could survive, you know, will shooting be overpowered is, is are all great questions. I think it, it feels like the cavalry is very fast. So being able to like, mitigate some of that shooting is it feels I'm not, like I'm not immediately assume I'm not immediately assuming that that shooting is overpowered I'm just saying that it it opens up the opportunity for it to be more impactful especially ballistic skill shooting or mass shooting which which really wasn't a much of a thing uh in in eighth edition with uh, the exception of exception of a few outliers um looking at you storm fiends um so yeah it was um yeah it's just I'm just curious to see uh, how how that interacts because there's also a piece of me that really loves the idea of like having a pike and shot style army for the empire where you know you do have you know a line of handgunners who can you know rip off a bunch of volleys and then f get the hell out of there and you've got you know some some spearmen there to to deal with the charges and such you know stuff like that like. If it's if if the you know relative power of the two is is handled correctly, it'd be it'd be great. I also wanted to say Nurgle Matthew in chat pointing out that uh, confirming that Warhammer Army's project charge was two d six, pick the highest and add it to the movement characteristic, making this the second uh, WAP rule I've seen uh, directly lifted by our friends at SDS. Kudos to you guys. I wouldn't be. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be mad if they just stole a lot of stuff from the community. Like, I mean, I would if they didn't then be like, like the guy at Warhammer Pro Army Project gets like several boxes free, right? You just send him everything. You're like, hey, thanks for doing this. Here's the launch box, the books. You just, you're on the I mean, influencer they, list. There you go. I mean, um, they sent him something, all right. Yeah, a cease and desist is what they said. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, mate, we got it all. You can take it down now. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> We've written it all down. We put it in our we own got book. It. Uh, thank we you. We printed it off. We yeah. printed it off. Not very square bast of them. Let's be honest. Um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't. I, again, like the best rules are 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 you know use the best rules, and sometimes those are ideas that already exist out there. Uh, but uh, yeah. Well, okay, yeah. I mean, whatever. It's Games Workshop. They're like, see my upcoming video, Games Workshop, the biggest IP thieves of all time? Question mark. Right, okay, so <laughs> uh, legit, legit a video I'm going to make. IP is only indefensible when it's not theirs. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Right, if you're in range, account for wheeling, moving the charging unit into base mm. contact with its target, bringing the maximum number of models from both sides into combat. If you whiff the roll, however, the charge has failed. The unit must move the full distance rolled towards its target, but your warriors haven't got the impetus to complete the charge, and now they're ripe to being hit back in the next turn. Uh, the third step accounts for compulsory moves. This is uh, actually there's there's something delicious to go go into on that too, oh, if you me. don't mind. Yeah, please. Uh, so so on on the on uh, the so you actually I don't you never played anything earlier than eighth, right? Eighth was your first edition. That's correct. Yeah. So in eighth, the wheel is free. So you measured basically you'd roll your two d six, you'd find out what your charge range is. If you were closest to closest in range, 
you could make your charge and you, okay. you were allowed an, an infinite wheel to do that, um, including the wheel in the amount of movement needed to make the charge. A, it's going to make wheeling very contentious. So like, so like if you roll like a 10 inch charge and you're, I don't know, eight inches away, um, you know, like <laughs> whether or not you use up that two inches in the wheel is a very big deal now. So the, I don't like it for that reason. I like free wheels because Again, wheels are kind of hard to measure accurately, especially since they brought back the old wheeling mechanic, which we're going to see. Um, so to me, this is another thing now that's going to slow down the game. And, and by that, I mean make it so that you're not getting into combat as quickly uh, because even like, so your charge range has shortened and now wheels are included in that charge. So again, your, the distance that you can actually cover is reduced and, uh, and it's going to make making sure you're it's going to make your battle line formation that much more important um, oh, i see because, what you're saying uh, flanking will be harder to do generally reacting to flanking actually is what's probably going to be harder to do so like if you have you know fast fast cab that can sort of you know generally speaking has a narrow narrow cavalry will generally speaking have a narrower frontage which means they have like the fulcrum is is shorter so your wheels are tighter um they're probably going to be in better positions to uh, be able to 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 get around to, to charge somebody. Whereas if you're a big wide unit of infantry, it's going to be very hard for you to charge something that's not immediately in front of you. <clears throat> oh yeah. That is, I don't, why isn't the wheel? Why wouldn't the wheel be free? I hope the wheel's free. Cause I, it's I, not, they say that it's not. And so, so if you scroll up, Oh, 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 uh, uh, accounting for wheeling. If you're in range, accounting for wheeling, and then there's a double asterisk on this. Uh, the distance. So let's go read the editors now. Yeah, let's get to the editors now. It's deducted from its charge. Ugh. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Absolutely and, gross. Yeah. Why? Oh. Just make wheeling free. FAQ. Wheeling's free. <laughs> Carry, carry <laughs> no, on with we'll your see. lives. But that's that's something that, for example, again, the uh, you know the sixth edition crowd would be very comfortable with. Uh, so or you, you know. Um, so that, that is, a, that is a normal thing, but that to me kind of undercuts pre-measuring a little bit just because of the inaccuracy of, of how, how you measure a wheel. Uh, so, okay. So people in the chat, not really sure about how this works. So I'll try and explain again. Effectively, when you're like, imagine two squares and those two squares are directly in front of each other. You charge, you know, you roll your distance and you connect them both. So they're flush connected with each other. Now imagine one of those squares is like they're corner to corner. So one is at the side of the other square. You're charging and because of where you are, you're in the flank. So you're in the side of the other square as opposed to the front. So when you charge, you must connect at the side of the square as opposed to the front of the square. And then because you don't connect, because you travel in a straight line, that means that your square and the other square is going to have a gap in between it. So then what you do is you wheel the unit or you close that gap uh, like a vice. And then that distance you have to include in your charge, which is a circular distance. So you now are not measuring a linear line. You're measuring a circular line from the edge and that becomes a real problem um and it sucks basically but, yeah so i don't want to confuse so uh, this is oh shit we're exposing uh, the complexity of fantasy battles now but like it's not <laughs> this is not <laughs> this isn't closing the door uh like uh like closing the door isn't the wheel they're talking about uh what they're talking about is like for example because you can see sort of like you have like a 45 degree on e on the front of each unit if you can think of it this way, if you can see a unit that's between here and here on uh, like to the side of your of, of your unit, 
So if you go straight, you would miss the you would miss the unit you're charging. So in that case, you would have to tilt your unit and then charge at it to get it. Mm-hmm. And it's that tilt, it's that initial wheel. That's what they're saying is part of the is part of the uh, is not is the, part not of the, the, clo- not the close the gap, not closing the door. Closing the door, closing the door is a very different thing. Yeah. Oh, the door, well, so that's, once, well, that's so way better. Then that's you, fine. It, it, yeah, it's not nearly like that. Would be brutal. You would be able. To, <laughs> that would be super brutal. So yeah, no, it's just it's just the wheel to be able to make contact with the unit you're charging, and then once you make contact, uh, then you would basically um, close the door. That final thing is not a wheel, and then you would basically shift them so that the most oh, amount of people are in combat. God, because that sounded awful the way I described it. Okay, thank goodness. Okay, love that. Okay, that's actually way better. Uh, most of my reservations are gone because you just do a quick a shifty. It's going to be an inch at most. You're going to be like, boof, that's it. Okay, they really should have done a picture for that because I walked away from that being like, that sucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, and let's hope it's not that. Are you confirmed? Like you read that thoroughly and you're like, yeah, defo, that's the way. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that 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 close the door thing has never been called. That's never never been called a wheel. That's always been closing the door. We'll we'll learn about that when we get to the combat phase. I assume. Or actually, I'm surprisingly it's not in this because it would be part of movement. Oh, I am relieved. That's true. I'm wheelie. Re- <laughs> I'm wheelie relieved. Okay, that's great. All right. Uh, next up, the third step is accounts for compulsory moves. This is mostly to accommodate fleeing units that fail to rally during the last strategy phase, but includes other rarer mo- uh, moves such as random movement for Night Goblin Fanatics or Stone Trolls who have failed their stupidity test. The fourth step covers remaining moves, regular maneuvers that don't result in combat. Okay, normal so this stuff. Is- this is something um, that uh, they say above, which I, again, it might just be games designers, uh, sorry, uh, community article writers not not knowing the, the ins and outs. But they say the only way to reach combat is to declare a charge, which actually, generally speaking, uh, in previous editions, is not true. Random movers, um, because they random they move randomly, um, they never were able to de- declare charges. And so things like a steam tank or a goblin fanatic um, or uh, pump wagons, these had like 3D6 movement, and this would happen after charges are declared. So they had the benefit of actually being able to charge something without uh, eliciting a charge reaction because they're basically they're wild cards, right? So um, you know a steam tank can, can hit you because you don't know how far it's necessarily going to lurch, so you can't really react to it, I guess is the idea. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to know if random movers now you know, charge in a more traditional sense, or if they just were, if, if I'm reading too closely into the, the Warhammer community things. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I think probably a lot of this isn't covered like in detail, but we got the gist, which is good. Um, uh, the mechanics of movement, as you expect from the game, multi-model uh, moving units acting in concert, movement in Warhammer, the old world is fairly involved. In general, units may move or march, performing maneuvers on the way. In the first case, they may move up to their movement characteristic and may then shoot later in the turn. In the latter case, they may double their pace, but they sacrifice the ability to perform any maneuver more complex than a wheel and their ability to shoot this turn for speed. Um, uh, while this unit may wheel, in which turn, uh, in which the unit pivots from one turn to the next, um, measuring distance from the outside model, you may also turn all units' models to 90 or 108 degrees, spending a quarter of a movement to reach uh, for each 90 degrees, move backwards or sideways at half pace, and redress the ranks or reform. Uh, That's okay. some interesting stuff in there. Okay, tell me about it. Um, well, for one thing, I, this is actually a bit of a disappointment for me, is how they measure wheels. 
Um, I would have loved to see wheels just be off this. Like, I don't know. I would rather wheels really weren't this like so punitive because it just doesn't. It makes it makes a difficult to measure. Uh, is to me a place where the game could really be simplified. Whereas, like maybe um, you're allowed one pivot on the center uh, per move or something like that, rather than um, rather than having to measure the distance the outside model goes. Because again, on a wide unit, if you're just like turning a little bit, you could you could imagine like this guy. If it's here, you're going that far. If it's a narrow unit. You know, this guy going to here, you're going that far, right? Yeah. So, like, it makes it does make a big difference to the total distance the unit can move, and it impacts maneuverability and all that kind of stuff. But again, getting that measurement accurate is pretty tricky. Um, and it, this is also one of those things where we tend to get hung up on whether or not like things are actually accurately accounted for. Just moving in a straight line on the tabletop, like in AOS or 40k or any other game like this. Doing it accurately is probably never happened in the history of these games. So, <laughs> so having a mechanic like a wheel kind of assumes that you are able to me- to accurately measure these types of things consistently. And I just don't have that kind of confidence uh, in measuring tape systems. Um, it would, I think, to me, it would have been better to say that you know, you know, in in a in a unit's move, they get one free pivot off of its center. You don't have to measure anything, and then they just get to move. Um, but so that would be one of my one of my small disappointments. I I think I think movement is one of those interesting things. It's so so important that uh, especially in a game like you said, the dice numbers are actually fairly low. You know, add a d6 to your move, an inch is huge. In mm-hmm. like, if you can pivot or not pivot, like, did you pivot an inch or did you pivot two inches? Is is a massive difference in the math on rolling that charge. So maybe I would have liked to have seen something a little bit more liberal in that stage with the movement. Um, and again, like measuring sticks, uh, sorry, measuring uh, tape measures are pretty inaccurate. A good thing is always, uh, you know, to use measuring sticks, you know, like, and like they're, they're very good. Like, and they're used. Yeah. Very- or like a movement gauge, like a gauge of some kind would, would be useful here. Um, yeah. Maybe like, a, actually it's like that old, that AOS combat gauge, which is what, like two inches. Oh, so uh, pretty, pretty commonly now in, in tournament gaming uh, is, the use of like normally someone has a tray of different range sticks like a nine inch sticks are very common obviously because deep strikes so everyone has a bunch of those everyone has a bunch of threes and twos but you know like um lots of people on etsy and other places they sell your classic uh come in soon to the square base store uh no but they they do sell your, your you know your measuring sticks and that that does make the game much simpler like it's much more linear it's much easier to do um and honestly so, they're pretty much my preference now well the problem is with wheeling because the frontage is what determines it um i just put i put the litco uh there's a litco uh exa- there's an example of a a, a a gauge or a widget for for wheeling that i just threw up in in stream chat um but you can see that the this the actually the solution you can tell is it's a little complicated so if you click on the little pictures you can see how they kind of operate um each one of those uh gauges are designed for a front a different size frontage um so in this case you know a unit of five 20 millimeter bases um if they go from once like basically if they were to complete that move that's one inch the thing is, you need a different gauge for each each frontage you have, and that's probably going to be the problem you're going to have with most uh, with any kind of widget that attempts to do this accurately. Um, 
I was talking with uh, Danny on Grim After Dark last night, and he said that like you will often see like they look like protractors, which are used for for determining arc of sight. He said that they they also used to be used for for measuring wheels. You could put inches on on sort of the um, convex edge of it uh, to try and get a measurement, but it wouldn't be accurate because different frontages are going to result in different distances. So again, we're, I'm beating a horse here, but it just this is one of those opportunities I think to have simplified a mechanic that's gonna it can a it's it's slow to measure them it's fraught and it's easy to get wrong and it has kind of because you don't have a big budget in your movement ranges um it's kind of a pain in the butt to uh to to do it well and it can cause probably some uh some consternation at the table sometimes yes totally overthinking this but hey what we've got we get one article a week come on rb grim we got a we got to really get into the nitty gritty here. I'm not sure it's overthinking it. Like, I think it's an important factor. Like, as discussed several times in this, and at one point, uh, the fear from me is one of the things that modern game design has done really nicely is it's taken away a lot of uh, discussion points where, like, I don't want you to make a charge, pretty much. I mean, I do. Like, I'm having fun, but I don't want you to make that charge. And if you don't make it by an inch, it sucks, and I'm sorry, but you didn't make it. You know, that's an important factor. So those at the right moment become these kind of like uh, hot button issues in a conversation, which is a real problem. And and a game should be working towards interactivity that's enjoyable, not interactivity mm-hmm. uh, which is non-enjoyable. Like that's why I like the charge reactions. That's a it's a very you yeah, it's a very you and me thing. You're gonna charge yeah. me, I'm gonna do a thing. It's like there's an entire experience there where we're both yeah. involved in what's occurring. Yeah. Where, like, so having these uh, very open, and that has always been a problem with these movement tray style games. Movement has been a problem. Measuring has been a problem because it's a game of geometry versus a game of like you know straight lines. Um, yeah, I mean, in general, movement is going to be a lot more accurate. You're you're generally speaking moving across a flat table, um, you know, with very little intervening terrain. Um, you're able to get the, the tape measure right down. You know, you can block the, you can literally take dice and block the unit off and like get like real. So you can actually get a degree of accuracy here. That's better than some other situations. Um, but wheeling to me is just sort of a get to me. And also like if you're uh, pre-measuring a charge, for example, that's a kind of a pain in the dick to try and pre-measure that because you're going to have to like block your unit off with dice, move the unit, uh, and and measure that wheel in order to figure out what it is accurately and come to a come to a reasonable conclusion with your opponent. This is assuming you know you're pa- you're playing someone kind of grindy, uh, but I think rules should be written with the assumption that your opponent is grinding you, uh, that your opponent isn't going to give you every every single quarter, um, because then you know if you write it that way, then the majority of us who can just play and have a good time and realize that you're going to give an inch and take an inch as the game goes on. Uh, we can figure that out, but you want the rules to support the scenarios where, or reduce the opportunities for scenarios where you're going to have conflict between, uh, you know, two players. Yeah. Anyway, well, b- because because loads of the rules sound like they're really engaging. Like that's an important factor. Like you know, lots of those rules sound really fun. I love the formations thing. I love, and ultimately, I do love just moving one brick of dudes versus each oh. individual dude. Uh, like that, that makes a lot of sense as well. And a shout out to Charlie in the chat has pointed out that again, one of those really nice things about this game is that they've been able to look at other game systems. And if they have played Star Wars Legion, they have a really nice way of doing it where the sergeant or the leader of a squad, you measure only ever from them when you're moving. Mm-hmm. 
move them, and then you just reform the unit around it. Obviously, with a game made out of movement trays, that obviously wouldn't work quite as well. Uh, but like that's a really elegant and nice system for moving big blocks immediately. And then you're not like, I don't need to measure 30 guys and move 30 guys. I measure one guy and I reform the rest. It's really nice. So like someone point out, we'll see how it goes when we, I imagine we'll, when we, when we learn about, for example, single unit, so, so single model entities. So like a dragon or a guy on a horse. Um, those generally, those guys don't have to wheel. They, they, they just move on their center. Um, so I don't see why you couldn't have a, like the ability to do the same thing for the rank and file units. Just move on the center. You don't have to measure the stupid wheel. Yes, that's free movement. Uh, but you, we've already seen that they've they've really reduced the overall amount of movement you're getting in this game. Um, so anyway, that's that's it. Although that would anyway, we could talk in circles on this. Uh, there was still there was Not still so, some other interesting. But, hey, there was hey, still, hey, we can never talk in circles. We talk in squares. only squares. <laughs> only squares. My mistake. <laughs> hey, um, back on the article. Can you go back? Because there actually was something new um, in the article, which and and my my um, ancient Warhammer. Uh, Ancient battles, ancient whatever it was. Warhammer um, ancients, Warhammer ancients, homies in the chat. Uh, perhaps you can tell us uh, more about this. But uh, so we have the wheel. You may also turn on units models though ninety or one hundred and eighty degrees, spending a quarter of your movement for each ninety degrees. Mm. So that's pretty cool. So that's not a that's not a full blown reform. But uh, for example, with a marching column, you could uh, you know run up the table. Um, you know, at triple speed, and then you could uh, do a quarter turn, and now you're uh, now you're 90 degrees facing the flanks of your enemy, and uh, you're in a very wide formation that's great for combat. Um, maybe not too deep, but again, uh, going on some previous um, articles, everyone in the front rank gets to fight. Um, so that's that's new. We haven't. I don't think I don't think you could just pivot in place in in eighth edition. You could move backwards or sideways at a half pace, which is sometimes useful. And I have no idea. Everyone else's guess uh, would be as good as mine. What redress the ranks uh, would be. Um, redress from my air cadet days, uh, doing, uh, doing drill, marching up and down the square. <laughs> uh, redressing ranks is essentially um, um, getting back into an organized formation. So say you've been marching, and you come to a halt, you might be a little jostled up, and so you would redress ranks and get you know shift back into position. So that suggests to, suggests to me that there might be scenarios where you become disorderly, um, you know, or like there's a way for for ranks to sort of get out of get out of joint. Perhaps it's a version of a reform that's a little bit less. Maybe it's shifting dudes around in the back rank. Who knows? Um, it could be. Used, so I'm interested because there's, be, there's, there's, there's be models stepping up from slain models on the front rank. Yeah, um, yeah, interesting. Could be that. Um, uh, that would be interesting as well. Yeah, like that is uh, that is something new, uh, definitely. Uh, but like we've said, like many of these phases have had almost no game design ever put into them. So just being able to come up with a few generic ones, and then again, some units that can do some unique ones themselves in those phases, it's going to be really fun. Like yeah. very fun. Like, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for some fun, unique, especially making units play, play the way you know, play the way they're meant to play. So there's not as much ludo narrative dissonance. There'll be some really fun Ooh. stuff in there. Ooh, 
Uh, there'll be some fun stuff in there, I think, because it does look like all those. It's not just a redress. There is, um, there is expansion in the rule sets of those sections, which looks cool. Yeah, I mean, they've added, um, they've they've made some really uh, obviously distinct choices here, um, and they've you know there's clear again. What did I want to see when I started seeing details? I wanted to see care for the game systematically, especially. So you know, systemically. Like, are they considering, you know, the butterfly effects of the choices that they're making here? And so far, I'm only seeing that this is a heavily considered game that has been weighed against the experiences of previous versions of this game and not even just this game by the looks of it. We are seeing influence from stuff outside of fantasy battles. Um, And honestly, like there is a whole world, obviously, of rank and flank games out there to draw from as well. Um, but this really is starting to feel like a, an excellent, in a lot of ways, like I kind of felt Warhammer Army's project was, uh, which was a, a great compromise, incorporating a lot of very cool mechanics um, from across the, you know, the, the full catalog of, of uh, Fantasy Battles games. So I am nothing but like enthused by the direction that we've been seeing. Um, it's kind of it's, it's shaping up real nice. The formation is strong. Uh, the next article does say that it, they're going to be talking about shooting next, which is fun. They're going through the phases. Yeah, shooting. Yeah, shooting is going to be interesting because, like I said, ballistic skill shooting, especially, um, was uh, very tricky. Because basically, if you were over half range, it was it was that's that's going to be a negative one penalty. If you moved, it was a negative one penalty. You know, most people were ballistic skill three. You know, that's sort of your like your 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 average tier. You know, shooting ability. So, you know, very easily, you know, if you were shooting through any sort of, you know, terrain, that would be a negative one penalty. So you were easily shooting, uh, uh, you know, hitting on sixes uh, in, in, in a lot of scenarios. And so it was, you know, not the greatest. And the way they got around that in 8th edition as, as, as the games won is that, um, you know, you basically were, you got units that just for whatever reason, just they just ignored all those things. So, you know, you could move and shoot without penalty. You could shoot at long range without penalty, uh, looking at you, Storm Fiends. Um, you know, you could, uh, you know, they, they basically created units that just ignored all of the stuff that really kept a lid on uh, range uh, ballistic skill-based shooting. Um, and uh, that wasn't, I think, a great way to solve it. So I'm really curious to see how do they solve it. Uh, are there ways to mitigate, you know, those movement penalties? Are there, you know... Are there, is there going to be a range um, uh, penalty, like like a long range, basically over half range penalty, like they had in eighth, and I assume other editions before that? Um, <laughs> so yeah, we'll see. I, the shooting phase will be quite interesting. I uh, just can't wait to shout ten from the back. That's it. That's where I'm at. I just want to shout ten from the back and have a great time. That's all I want from my game right now. <laughs> Uh, just want to do that. Uh, it was going to be really fun. So uh, I don't know about you, but I'm excited. Excited to see uh, where this goes. The shooting phase, shouting 10 from the back. I think it's going to be a fun time for all of us. Uh, and how, what's your kind of general feelings about the, the movement? Are you happy? You said you were happy, right? Yeah, movement absolutely is 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 super cool. And there's as much nuance as we were able to pull out of it just looking at what they revealed. There's so many more elements that are are, you know, as the de- as we actually get the full details of that's really seems going to create a really toolsy and nuanced um, you know, foundation for this game because again, like rank, rank and flank 
uh, uh, it's in the name of, of the style of game, right? So having all of those extra ways to, you know, reorganize your units, move them around while at the same time reducing kind of their ability to get into combat at a long distance. I think that makes the table a little bit bigger. It helps offset the increasing, you know, footprint from just, you know, going from 20 millimeter, 25 millimeter bases. Um, you know, it's all real positive here. And I'm going to assume it's a six by four table. Um, that, that to me is probably table stakes, if you will, Rob. Um, <laughs> and then with shooting, and then with shooting, like I said, I think there's, I think there's a lot of opportunity to, um, you know, streamline some things with shooting specifically around like, um, you know, how ranges work, um, hit modifiers. You can, it, it's a tough thing. I'm sure for them to figure out where the right sweet spot is. Um, but again, as, as eighth edition un, went on, uh, more and more of the ballistic skill based shooting units just ignored those penalties. Wood elves, for example, with true flight arrows, they would just, they just, and I, I've been, I've been practicing for a square base GT, against a wood elf player and i kept being i just keep being like yo bro like you, you just just bring more archers dude like don't mess around with other garbage like just the fact that they don't take any penalties means you can't hide except if you're completely out of line of sight uh it just makes them devastating um and that's because it ignores and you, you kind of referred to this last week you know like oh we're getting all these 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 rules that you know immediately certain armies will just ignore um, so it's, it's a question of like, how high up do you make that, that shooting penalty for people without any special rules? Because then when you get, when you get units that then ignore those special rules, you know, is the gap between them going to be this, or is it like eighth edition where it's like this, well, where, you know, an, a wood elf archer is like so much better than any other archer in the game. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Like, and you would like that to be what they do, but the issue is, is like, are they so good at it that it becomes something that is unmanageable in the game? And you yeah. know that's that that's that classic situation because everyone does want all of those armies to play differently and also yeah. all those units to play differently. Uh, as do I. It's really hard, um, you know, and that's why all of these different game companies are still working on developing. But it, what's nice is seeing them pick and choose some rules which are fun. Um, and I yep. honestly am very excited. Just the, that movement article has made me more enthusiastic. Uh, the pictures were really good. It, Like you say, made me really feel yep. like they're, they're thinking about it, which is nice. And if the same love and dedication has been put into kind of, you know, the background and the ongoing narrative, we've got ourselves an amazing... We already know we've got an amazing universe. We already know we've got loads of great miniatures that yes. you can put into that universe. So then having great law that's been loved and then great game that's been loved. It's an incredible place to build a community around and be a part of a game. So I'm very excited about that. I think it's going to be very fun. Yeah. And I mean, the, the era, like we've said this in previous shows, the era that they've chosen to base the game in, uh, to me is, is, is really the zero, like the, 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 the era that the game ends in is really more like in, you know, in 40 K terms, it's the, Citradix, Citradix, Maledictum, or whatever. It's yeah. it's like after they're like, you know, they're they're like one second to midnight there. Whereas you know they've had some wars again, they've had some um, battles against chaos in 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 history, um, but uh, the this this is the first world war essentially that you're coming up to. This is what will become referred to as the great war against chaos, um, and it is preceded by some really, really pivotal moments in the, in the timeline of the lore, which to me makes it easy 
uh, both, you know, uh, from Games Workshop's perspective, but also from players' perspective to, you know, you know, ignore, ignore what they're saying and take your, your armies and go fight the Vampire Wars, uh, which happened just, you know, maybe a few decades previous to, to where this game is set. You know, there's, uh, you know, Nagash is on the scene maybe a couple hundred years before this is set. Um, you know, there's, there's just, there's a lot, the Mordheim happens, uh, you know, a couple, maybe, maybe a few decades before this is set. So it really is a great moment in the timeline to pick, to start working their way forward from, um, in, in that, um, in a lot of sense, you know, like the, uh, you know, again, in 40 K terms, um, you know, this is, um, kind of, kind of like the horse heresy, uh, of, of fantasy, Except to me, Horse Heresy never felt to me like the the actual game for 40k. Whereas this, to me, this feels like the 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 like the the timeline it should have, um, and the bad things that happen in the future are very far off in the future um, to the point where you can almost tell yourself, you know, maybe something different can happen this time, mm. um, you know. And if you have, you know, if you if you have a perspective of you know different. Um, different uh you know timelines that's totally something that can happen um there's a really good um interview that got posted by jordan sorcery with gav thorpe mm. and what made it really fascinating especially to me was uh he goes into great detail around the original storm of chaos campaign mm. um in storm of chaos um they basically ran a global campaign it was after the original armageddon campaign i want to say this would have been the early 2000s somewhere maybe the mid-aughts and they got to a place where chaos was uh, was making some progress, and chaos was a lot more relevant in in the setting, um, because up until then, most of the books were talking about sort of this gathering storm, right? Chaos is present, but it's not like there. There's beastmen in the forest, but you know, there's not like warriors of chaos coming down invading towns. That's kind of the exception, not the rule of existence in. Uh, in 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 the in the in the old world at the time, chaos is um, you know waned at this moment, mm. and then Storm of Chaos essentially was this story where you know through people participating online, they developed this thing where you know chaos does break through, and now they are in the world, and they kind of ended the campaign where chaos is rampaging. Now we are you know sort of in the end times potentially, and that's kind of where he what he wanted sort of like how they did in 40k where Cadia falls. Now the setting has changed. We're in a world where, you know, a universe where, um, you know, the Imperium is divided in half and, and you know, uh, like the Immaterium is, is, is interacting more with, with, with real space. And so the setting has meaningfully changed without arriving at a conclusion. Mm. And what I found really, really fascinating about um, uh, what Gav said is that the, 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 the real purpose of, you know, lore and background and setting and the narrative that they that they develop and design is more about getting you to a point and then you finish the story. Mm. Um, and it was cool to hear Gav talk because he gets he gets uh, I don't know I, I feel like Gav gets uh, disparaged a lot because he was he was also the guy who ran uh, fantasy I think during uh, the sort of sixth to seventh transition. Um, but it felt to me like um, the fact that he was disallowed from moving the setting forward, so like or changing the setting, um, essentially they, he was he was told that no no we can't get one second of midnight we got to be two minutes from midnight and essentially they retcon the storm of chaos campaign out of out of fantasy as they uh, develop seventh and certainly into eighth, um, which um, 
he was very delicate with how he's talking. And I encourage everyone to go out there and listen again. Jordan Sorcery interviewing Gav Thorpe. Uh, you get the full version on his Patreon. Um, but uh, they, um, uh, it really felt like Gav was hinting at the fact that that was really what ended his his time there was the fact that um, you know they they would not give him the scope to narratively advance the setting without you know um, you know basically just sort of it would have changed the world a lot, like what the day-to-day reality of the, of, of the old world and the fantasy world would have been, but it wasn't the end times. It wasn't actually ending the world. There was no conclusion. You would have to make that conclusion in your own game. So I'm curious to see when you have a narrative like the old world that's coming now, where there is much like the horse heresy, there is a final climactic endpoint, or at least a logical endpoint mm. um, to where this goes, which would be, you know, uh, you know, the, the battle for Prague, um, the old world uniting under um, Magnus, uh, the pious as the emperor, and and uniting all of the uh, all of the states. Um, you know that is a pretty significant conclusion where we get to. How much play do we have between here and there to you know really determine and have have fun with those in, that, in this setting? Also, I think one of the fun bits as well is like lots of the lots of the lots of the you know law was finalized by the end times you know they were like yeah you know the lady of the lake is you know like a lot of it a lot of it was you know confirmed as opposed to rumors or hints and so now they get to you know they get to they effectively you know because the the cat's out the bag they can give us that story but they can still have the characters be unaware of what's going on and that's fun as well oh we can see some fun stuff in that yeah you get you get some dramatic yeah, you get dramatic fallacy where where the audience knows, uh, but the the characters in in the in in the in the narrative don't right. Like so, um, uh, sorry, dramatic irony. Sorry, I, I combine my 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 literary devices. Yeah, dramatic irony is 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 where that happens. And I'm also curious again uh, to see how much license they take, uh, because there is so much in the end times that was just brutal and and like and because they answered things. Um, rather than leaving them open to, you know, interest or like, uh, you know, speculation or just, just leaving them as open-ended questions. They actually put, you know, periods at the end of sentences. A lot of it was really unsatisfying, including the Lady of the Lake thing. Um, so I'll be curious to see, you know, to our friends at SDS and I'm hoping someday Black Library as they expand, you know, the old world lore and, and maybe have some cool new book series and things that, that, that spin off of it. How much do they use end times as um like a literal foundation and how much do they use it as an end point namely that yes chaos wins in the end but do the details maybe change a bit uh because i think i think chaos winning in the end is not the worst part about the end times for a lot of people interested i think everyone ever, i think everyone has an opinion don't they like i think that's the thing about setting that people loved uh, so deeply and uh, i think that's going to be true of the game game mechanics as well but i'm looking forward to it it's going to be super fun. If you have enjoyed watching this video, though, make sure you go check out all the links below. Um, like, subscribe, comment, share the video yeah. with your friends in your old world slash fantasy communities. Um, like, that's good. We can only build up a <sighs> positive and based space by you helping us reach more people. So you're going to have to go out there and let people know about the fact that we exist, which is going to be fun. Uh, so please do go do that. That would be cool. Uh, otherwise, you know, uh, it will just be us two talking, yes. which will still be great, even if that's all it is. Okay, so let's do that. 
uh, which would be fun. Honestly, that's all it is. That, you know, fundamentally, that's what this is about is, uh, you know, a little parasocial hangout with, with Rob and I and celebration of a game that I've really come to love quite genuinely. So I, I can't wait to see where this all goes. And thanks for joining us. And yeah, like, comment, subscribe. Peace and love. Uh, Val, thanks very much. Uh, chat, thank you very much. Loads of love to you. And uh, a massive, <laughs> uh, a special thank you to everyone who has supports the show. Loads of love and goodbye.